I would like to thank you for joining me in Web Church today. I'm so excited about Web Church and I'm so excited to be sharing the message of God's grace with you. Today I've got a message in my heart that I want to preach for a long time and one of our Web Church members just prompted me and said, listen Bert, I don't want to minister on this area of the scripture and that is from the book of James and we're going to minister on that today and uh, I'm so excited about that. But first of all, I want to just welcome all the first time viewers of Dynamic Web Church. If this is your first time that you view Web Church, I believe that you're going to be blessed. Amen. This is what you've been looking for all your life. Not that I say Web Church is the thing, but it's all about the message that we preach in Web Church. This message that we preach here is what you've been looking for all your life. It's the message of God's unconditional love. It's the message of God's grace. It's the message of God's compassion, His love for you, what is done in you, what will produce who He is inside you. And even last night as I was just lying in bed and I was starting to meditate upon who I am in Christ and what Christ has done for me and, and who Christ is in me, you just experience the energy or the power of God coming into your life and you experience that you are loved of God. You experience that you've got power to go through this life victoriously and successfully. Amen. And that is just what I believe God has got for all of us is a successful life, a life of true joy, a life of true peace, a life that is not based on what you have and what you possess and what you can do for God in the name of Jesus, but a life that is based on what God has done for you. Amen. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, (coughs) before I get in a little bit of the Word of God before we go into the worship and then into what I want to preach today from the book of James. I would just like to say this, that our five-month Bible school has been running now for a week and we've got, man, I don't know if it is, is between 11 and 20 people. I don't know exactly what the number is, but uh, what I've heard last time, that there was 11 people that enrolled and we know of a couple of pastors from Durban that want to enroll as well. We don't know how, how many they are. That can be five or uh, ten pastors that want to enroll from there. We're also going up to Zambia on the 3rd. We bought our plane tickets. From there we're going, we, we'll come back, we'll be back. And then on the 25th of June, we are going to Durban for a crusade there um, with people from Rantendal congregation or from Krugersdorp, a Dutch Reformed Church. We're going to do a crusade there in the Transkai, the old Transkai. So I'm very excited about that. As the things are going well, God's blessing the ministry through what Jesus Christ has done. Amen. We're experiencing our justification. We're experiencing the blessing that God has promised in the Word of God. Hallelujah. And I'm very excited about going to Zambia because we're going to get those pastors to start to enroll into the five-minute Bible school. And I believe this five-minute Bible school is going to change a a great, um, or the whole face of the ministry. Because in our outreaches, we would normally go and just do a crusade and leave. And uh, the people that stay behind, man, by a miracle, you'll find people that will follow them up and do something and and teach them. But I believe through this, when we get invitations, which we get on a weekly basis to go and um, preach in Africa, in India, in wherever, the Philippines, we can send this message you know, they send this Bible school beforehand. Let them do the Bible school beforehand. 
And as they've done that for uh, six months, we know at least they've got the same mindset as what we've got. And when we go and preach the gospel there, then we know that it's preached on a foundation of grace. Because the pastor is grace-based. His mindset is grace-based. And as he completes the questions, the the forms that we've sent him and the answers the questions that we've sent him and interpret the scriptures that we want him to interpret, then we can see as if he understands the grace of God and we can help him and we can assist him. And once we see somebody's establishing the grace of God, then we can go there, do a crusade, and those people will be followed up to, uh, with, with a grace foundation. Hallelujah. That is good news. That is what God has got for us. And I do believe that this five-minute Bible school is going to help a lot with that. It's going to impact the lives of so many leaders all over the world. And five-minute Bible school is not just for leaders. It's for everybody. We've, um, this week we already had our first person write back to us. In other words, they've completed the first subject, filled in everything, interpreted the scriptures, and was awesome. It was just so nice to see that somebody could listen to five-minute Bible school, study the scriptures, and answer all the questions correctly. Um, interpret the scriptures correctly, in other words, from a foundation of grace. Hallelujah. You know, to us it's not, um, do you really see all the background of the scripture? Do you really see everything in the detail of how the Jews did it and all of that? It is to see the grace of God in that scripture. So when people interpret, they write the grace of God, they share the grace of God, plus some experiences of their own life. Man, it's so enriching to us as well. So that... This five-minute Bible school is awesome. I believe it's a God idea. Amen. Now we're going to get a little bit into the, um, into the Word. I'm going to just share for five minutes a scripture in the Word of God. And just to encourage you, just so you can just experience that love of God. And then we're going to go right into the worship. And from there we will share, um, share the Word of God. <clears throat> right. Let's read Isaiah 54 verse 14. It says, In righteousness shall you be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you will not fear. Man, isn't that awesome? Let me just read this again. And just that is so, so powerful. It says, In righteousness you shall be established. Now, so many times we think that is the righteousness of the law. We cannot be established in the righteousness of the law. It's impossible. We are established in a greater righteousness, which is called the righteousness of God. Okay. In righteousness, in God's righteousness, you shall be established. In other words, that which comes your way, or that which grows in your life, or that which you possess, that, the, the character traits that's in your life, um, the way you think, all of that will be established from the viewpoint of God's righteousness. From the fact that God made you righteous in Jesus Christ. That's what it says. In righteousness, you shall be established. So many times people can read that scripture in such a law base that says, only in righteousness can you be established. So start to do righteousness so that you can be established. Now that's not what it says. Because this speaks prophetically about Jesus, um, the whole Isaiah 54. So it doesn't speak about our righteousness and our ability to do things. It speaks about the righteousness which we receive as a gift. It says, in righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression. In other words, what will happen is we will be established in the righteousness of God and then we will be far from oppression. Why will we be far from oppression? For we shall not fear. For fear will be taken out of our hearts. That's why. 
you know what's a wonderful thing is, is um, you know, in South Africa, I've, uh, we, we've had a lot of um, violence the last couple of weeks because we've got people from other countries living in South Africa. And what happened with Zimbabwe was um, people just came over, illegal immigrants and people immigrating here, people just coming here with holiday visas, whatever, coming from Zimbabwe into South Africa by the thousands. And uh, what they did was they didn't make a, a refugee camp on the border. They just let the people into the country. And what's happening now is some of the South Africans are losing, not just losing their jobs, but they don't get jobs because we've got so many other people. And those people are willing to work for nothing. And they're not registered with any union or anything like that. So, you know, people pay them half what they would pay the normal, normal guys. And those people from Zimbabwe and Malawi and the other countries will work um, with a smile for that because it's much better than what they could ever get in their own country. So, um, and because of this violence broke out and people started to burn houses and do all those things. The other day I had to go and uh, fetch my car in, uh, in Cape Town uh, close to a squatter camp. There's, there's a guy that works on the, on the air, air conditioners and the air conditioner broken. I took it there and Liliana and I, we went down to fetch the car. We went on the motorbike and normally we drive through the squatter camp to get to this place. That's the shortest road. Um, and man, they, they just closed the road down. They said, no, you can't drive through here. Nobody could go through there because it was just violence everywhere. And what's, you know, when you look at those things from a Western way of thinking, you think, man, you know, this country is going to be a mess. But what's nice is, what's, what is hard, what, what the voice that is more loud, the louder voice in my heart is this voice that says, in righteousness I'm established. You shall be far from oppression. So I shall not be oppressed. Because of God. Because of who God is. Hallelujah. Like David said, if a thousand fall on my one side and ten thousand on the other side, I will not fear, for it shall not come to me. Amen. God blesses me. This whole place is going to sink. It doesn't matter, because God will always be with us. He will always give us joy. He will always give us hope. He will always give us um, what, what we contentment. He will give us patience and whatever we need. Hallelujah. Uh, financial support can come from overseas. People can start to support this ministry from overseas. It's not that we are dependent on the situation in the country because we are established in the righteousness of God. I qualify 100% before God to be supernaturally blessed, not of this country, but of God Himself. And that is because of Jesus Christ. That's what that scripture says. In righteousness shall you be established. You shall be far from oppression for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Behold, I shall surely gather together. Behold, they shall surely gather together. In other words, listen, there are going to be situations where people gather together against you. Okay? Why? Because that's just the way people are. But listen to this. But it's not of me. <clears throat> Whosoever shall gather together against you shall fall for your sake. So, whosoever comes and willfully gathers against me or you who are established in the righteousness of God shall not prevail. Their onslaught shall not prevail. We shall not be afraid for we are established in the righteousness of God. We shall not fear. We shall not be oppressed. Why? For it will not come near us. Why? Because they gather together not by God. 
And God cannot get people together against him, against His church, for then He must get people willfully together against Himself and create an enemy for Himself to play some foolish game. And that's not the way God is. Hallelujah. Then verse 16, Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire and brings forth an instrument for His work. And I have created the waster to destroy. Now, that word to there is not the correct interpretation. Go and look at the word uh, uh, under in-depth studies. Go to Isaiah 54 verse 14. You'll just see there an in-depth study of this very scripture. It says, Who destroys? It says, no weapon that's formed against you shall prosper. Why? Because the person who does this bad thing, God's also created him, and God knows how to work in his heart not to do it to you. Amen. For I'm the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. And we are not under the same thing as what Jesus was when he walked this earth, because Jesus, when he walked this earth, he came to bring salvation for us. But we are not there to bring salvation for ourselves. We are there to receive salvation because of what he's done. Now, I do believe the only oppression that there is for a Christian is to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, country violence is not persecution for righteousness' sake, so we are not part of that. Amen. We're not oppressed by that. But what I wanted to say is, you shall be established in righteousness. Maybe you're not in a country where it goes like it's going South Africa at the moment. But uh, maybe you're not in a country like that. It doesn't matter. There can be other oppressions. There can be people persecuting you. There can be people um, really not, not liking you. There can be financial situations that's just screaming out that says you're not going to make it. But I've got good news for you. You are established in righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? And I'm going to say this quickly. We're going to go over into worship. Man, I almost, I just want to continue along this life. This is just so, so awesome. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Isaiah 40, uh, Psalms, sorry, Psalms 40, verse 10. It says, I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared, now listen, it's talking about righteousness, righteousness here and what righteousness is. It says, I have not hid thy righteousness, the righteousness of God, within my heart. Then semicolon. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. So what the scripture says is that righteousness, the righteousness of God, or let me use another word for righteousness there. The holiness or the type of person God is, is he, that He is faithful, that He saves, that He is a God of loving kindness, a God that has got a great passion to be kind to you. That means He's got a passion to live out the character that is in Him, which is to bless other people and to grant them their wishes. That's what it, what it literally means according to the uh, Webster's Dictionary, the word kindness, loving kindness. The word loving kindness is somebody that's got the character trait to basically lay down what he's got with a purpose to bless another person and to grant him their wishes and to lift their burdens. That's what it is. So that was what the psalm writer declares he declared and he wasn't quite about was the righteousness of God. Now we are established you shall be established in the fact that God comes and He declares His faithfulness over you. He's faithful to say that your sins are forgiven. You've been made righteous. He's faithful to save you 
all the time and to make His salvation everlasting. He is faithful to treat you better than what you deserve and He's faithful to come and lift your burdens and bless you with giving you the desires of your heart. And He is faithful to walk not in a consciousness of sin. Amen. But a consciousness of what Jesus Christ has done. You shall be established in that and then you shall not, you shall be far from oppression. For what God has done will get your mind into joy and into peace. For you are thinking of God's work and not your work. You're thinking of God's work and not the, uh, the pol- political party's agendas and work in the country. You're thinking of what God has done for you and that brings true joy and true peace. Amen. Well, we're going to go over to the worship since we know that we are being established and established in His righteousness. The more you know what God has done for you, the more you experience stability in your life, the more you experience that you are far from oppression. Hallelujah. That you are far from oppression, for it shall not come near you. Amen. Isn't that awesome? God is such a good God. Hallelujah. Let us just pray together and after prayer we're going to go straight into the worship. Father, I thank you for every person that is watching me today. I thank you for your power that is just manifested in the lives of people today as they hear the Word of God, as they are blessed by the Word of God. I thank you, my God, that we can worship in your name and that we can worship you with all of our hearts. Father, I thank you that everybody all over the world that's watching me right now will just experience your true peace that I'm experiencing as I sit here in this studio. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hallelujah. Enjoy the worship. Well, isn't that awesome? God is such a good God. I trust that you're going to be blessed by the Word of God today. Today we're we're going to talk from the book of James. Uh, I believe that the book of James, and I've seen so many times, I've been studying it and reading it through a couple of times just to see the the context in which it's written. I remember when I first got to Grace, this was really a very difficult book for me to understand. This and some of the writings of Paul in the last two chapters of most of his, of his, um, of his letters, as well as uh, the book of John, some places in the book of John, Hebrew some places, and uh, uh, Peter, First Peter, Second Peter, especially Peter, when it comes to, you know, th- these hard times will produce good things in your life. And then we want to think, man, God, why do you want to use hard times to produce the good things in our lives? But when you read the scripture, and, um, and this is one thing I want to say. <clears throat> when you study the scriptures and you don't understand a certain thing, and it doesn't sound like good news, don't believe it. That, now, you might say badly, but that is not a safe way to interpret scripture, a safe way to read the Bible. I think it's the safest way in which we can read the Bible. As I would grow in the grace of God, I came to a point where I started to understand. And I said, man, you know, there were certain definitions of words that I had to understand in order for the book of James to make sense to me. Now, to be honest, <clears throat> I think that James didn't write the book, this book uh, really from a perspective in his mind of grace. Because James was a really a lawful type of a person. He was a, I think he was a preacher that I would have had some arguments with. Uh, when it came to understanding the word, especially in the book of Acts, and we're going to look at that today, and we have looked at that before. And what he says here, um, or, or what, what, what James did was, he wrote the Bible trying to correct people, trying to, or not the Bible, this, this book, 
uh, and, and he came from a law perspective in his mind, but he was inspired of God. Now you might say, Bertie, how can a person write you know, with a law mentality inspired of God? I believe that he was inspired of God because he used certain words that when you understand the correct interpretation of them, when you understand the correct definition of them, it's all grace. So, yes, the book of James, um, uh, yeah, uh, Martin Luther said that he thinks that the book of James shouldn't even be in the Bible. Now, the book of James, to a certain degree, is more Old Testament than a lot of Old Testament books of the Bible. Uh, so, you must realize that the book of James, uh, you need to understand where it comes from, you need to understand the perspective from where it was written, to really know why it was written, to whom it was written, and how to interpret correctly. Let's go to verse 1. It says, James, the servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. So, number one, this was not written to the Gentiles. This was written to the twelve tribes of Israel. So, if you are not part of the twelve tribes of Israel, this was not even written to you. So, you are reading another man's letter. So, you have to put yourself in their shoes in order to understand what was written. I'm not saying by this that you're not supposed to read the book of James. I mean, the wonderful, beautiful stuff that is in this book. But we need to understand where it comes from. When the Bible talks about hard times here, um, in the book of James, it's not about uh, somebody that's just giving you a hard time because of the situation in your house or because of the situation in the country, hard times like that, or your boss giving you a hard time just because he's a difficult man. That's not what, it, what it's talking about. When it talks about hard times, and um, it talks about the hard times the twelve tribes of Israel went through because they believed on Jesus, and they were persecuted by the other Jews that or Israelites, that weren't believers. That's what it's about. That's the hard times that the book of James talk about. Now, um, just a little bit about the background of James. Let's go to Acts 21. Now, there's some other places in the Bible where it also speaks of, of James, but I just decided to take this part. Acts 21. And we're going to read from verse 19. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. Now, James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Okay. So, uh, James was there and all the, all the others. And when he had saluted them, he declared um, particularly what things God had wrought amongst the Gentiles by his ministry. This is now Paul sharing with James and the other leaders of the church. And when he heard it, and when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are zealous of the law. In other words, what the, the people that was in the church that James pastored was people that were saved, but they were still zealous of the law. And they were fond of the law. So when they heard things... Uh, about Jesus, they wanted to hear that from a law perspective. Okay. <clears throat> they were zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee, that you teach the Jews which are amongst the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. 
So, what Paul was preaching was, he was telling Jews that lived amongst the Gentiles. The reason why he told the Jews that were living amongst the Gentiles is because they were just few in number. But he couldn't do that in Jerusalem because that was now the headquarters of the, the Jewish um, like rulership. That was where most Jews lived. Okay, so he said, or where there was a great concentration of Israelites that was zealous of the law. Because the temple was in Jerusalem. That was where all the major teaching came from. That's where people were trained. The temple was there. That's where you came to, to sacrifice and all of that. Okay, so uh, here they were to, Paul went and he ministered amongst the Gentiles. He told the Jews, listen, you can forsake Moses. That word forsake is the, the Greek word to backslide. So what he was saying was, man, you can backslide from Moses. And you don't have to be circumcised and you don't have to walk off the customs. Now, the, the zealous believers, now, uh, you can read any commentary, it doesn't say it is just the, 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 the Jewish people. He says, look how many, let me read this again, and this is very important for you to understand when we interpret the book, um, James. It says, and when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, thou see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe and they are all zealous of the law. So these were people that believed and they were zealous of the law. So it wasn't just um, Jewish believers. In other words, people that were just Jews, that were just zealous of the law. They were zealous of the law and they believed. And they believed that you had to be circumcised and they believed that you, you were not supposed to forsake Moses and they believed that you had to walk after the customs that was placed there by Moses and by the Jewish tradition. That's what they believed. And they didn't believe that just as, well, you know, that's not what we believe, you know, and it's not that great thing. They believed it as the Word of God. For, if you read on, they almost killed Paul for what he said. They agreed with him that about Jesus, but they differed with him when it came to the traditions and the circumcision and all those type of things. So, for a pastor to be a pastor of a church um, and preach the customs of Moses, you know, you have to be law-based. You have to be a person that has mixed grace with the law. Now, I'm not saying that the book of James is not inspired of God. Now, I want to bring it to your remembrance. I've said it just in the beginning of the session that the book of James is inspired of God. If it's correctly interpreted, if you take the correct definitions of um, the word grace, the correct definitions of the word uh, mercy and the word word, what is the word of God? If the Bible says be a doer of the word, what does that word word mean? And all of that. You know, because we can't come with a perspective of the law because then we're not interpreting the word of God. We must take the writings of Paul and the purpose of Jesus Christ, lay that as a foundation and then take the book of James and interpret into that. And if you don't do that, well, you can forget about it. Um, man, read, read something else. You know, because you, you're just going to be, this is going to confuse you. You will not understand what it says. And we're going to see if we can get through chapter 1 today. And um, I don't want to make it very long. We're going to use a couple of sessions, a couple of Sundays for this. Right. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. In other words, this was towards the twelve tribes, towards the Israelites. My brethren, 
Count it joy when you fall into different temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, we have to go and look more in depth into this, because it sounds as if he says, listen man, just be happy when you go through hard times, because when you go through hard times, then patience comes forth, and then you're going to be a more patient person. Now, that is not what that is all about. It's completely different. Now, first we have to go and have a look at the word patience. Now, if we're going to have a look at the word patience, we go to Romans 15 and verse 4. Romans 15 and verse 4. You know, so many times we've got a wrong understanding when it comes to patience. We think that patience is, you know, when, um, when, when, when the dog... Choose the, pulls the clothes from the washing line and messes it up and uh, just bites holes into it, then we are just patient and say, oh, you know, good doggy. You know, we, we are patient people. Now, that's not the patience that that talks about. The patience that James talks about there is to patiently wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the patience and we're going to show it to you. Um, Romans 15 verse 4. So what he was saying is, and let me just put the, give that and then we're going to get into the word here. What he was actually saying was, listen, the, uh, when you go through a hard time, what is going to happen then is the Spirit of God is going to work up patience in your heart. And, and when patience comes into your heart, don't become tired. But continue to believe in the word of Jesus Christ. So that at the return of the Lord, you will be perfect and entire and wanting nothing. In other words, that you will receive your glorified, resurrected body. That you will be glorified in your physical body. That's what he was saying. So when you go through a hard time, God gives you patience. We must know one thing, that patience is not the orchestrator of um, or hard times is not the thing that produces patience. The Holy Spirit produces patience. But when hard times come, then the Holy Spirit works that patience. So patience is an outflow of understanding of the grace of God. It's not uh, because of the experience of hard times. It's an outflow of what the Holy Spirit does in you. And we're going to have a look at that as well. Now let's go to Romans 15. Sorry, I'm in Acts there. Romans 15. I don't want you to be confused. You will understand. I'll put everything nicely for you. It says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So what he was saying is that the things that was written in the Bible beforehand was written so that we could have patience and that we could be comforted through the Scriptures and through patience so that we can have hope. Now, what is this hope? The hope that the Bible talks about, and I don't want to preach on hope now, but I'm just going to give you just a short breakdown of it. You can go to Romans chapter 5 and read that. When the Bible talks about hope, it talks about the confident expectation that we have as Christians expecting the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what hope is. Hope is not, I hope something good is going to happen to me. 
Now that is also a part of hope. That is an expectation of your justification which Jesus Christ brought for you. So I want you to know this. When you hope something, you don't hope um, or, or the hope that the Bible talks about. It's you don't hope that your children is going to go well with your children. No, no. We are persuaded that it will go well with our children. And we've got an expectation that will happen, which is a hope. But the hope that the Bible talks about here is the hope that the Lord Jesus will return. The confident expectation that Jesus will return. When we go through a hard time, when, and the hard times of the Bible times was, they were persecuted for righteousness. They were murdered. They were sawn in two. They were fed to lions. That's what happened to them. They were going through those hard times. And then he says, uh, and it's so wonderful, he says here, um, is, um, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience. Knowing this. So what he says is, the only way you're going to have joy when you go through a hard time, is to know that patience is going to come forth in your heart and is already inside you because of God and that you can patiently wait for the return of the Lord and that it will happen. And it also says here, it worketh... Um, sorry, I, I, there's just one word I want to get here. Knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. That word trying is also the word trustworthiness. So what it says is, knowing this, that the trustworthiness of your faith will bring forth patience. So, when you go through different trials and temptations, know this, the trustworthiness of your faith will produce patience. So I can know that my faith is trustworthy and that it will produce patience. And out of my faith in who Jesus Christ is, Patience will come forth in my heart when I am persecuted and when I'm going through hard times. And that will only happen when the good news is rooted deep into my heart. If the good news is not rooted deep into your heart, you're not going to find patience for you don't find trustworthiness in your faith. When we can know that this word that I believe, and it's the way I say it, if it's not good news, if it doesn't sound like good news in the Bible, man, don't worry about it. Don't believe what you read as, it, as the letter of the word. Because there must be a good news interpretation. If there's not a good news interpretation, it's going to confuse you. It's going to make you a double-minded man. And you're never going to receive anything from God. That's what the Bible says. Now let me not make this complicated and just take this first couple of minutes and just make it easy for you. Number one, when you go through a hard time, you can be happy by knowing that the trustworthiness of your faith will produce patience. And once you experience the patience, continue in the patience. Continue to patiently wait for return of the Lord so that you can be entire and wanting nothing. That you will, in the day of the Lord, not be short in anything because you have rested your mind all the time in what Jesus has done and not in your own works. Okay. Right. Um, but let patience have a perfect work. What have we seen? That through the comfort of the Scriptures and patience, we can have hope. That's what it says. And there's another Scripture that, I've, uh, that I want to read there, Matthew 13. Let's go to Matthew 13. Just a little bit on patience. Oh, and, yeah, patience. And how the, 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 the Gospel works. 
Matthew 13, verse 20. It talks about the parable of the sower and the seed that fell on the road and the seed that fell on, on the stony places and whatever. And I want to lift out the one here in verse 20 talking about the stony places. It says, But he that received seed on, into stony places, the same as he that hears the word and with joy receives it. Yet he has not root in himself, but endures for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he's offended. So what happens? What, what is he talking about here? Patience and, and what the word works. When you take the word of grace, and you get that word of grace rooted in your heart. Now, the reason why I believe the Bible talks about rooted is, the root is all the food that comes into the plant, that causes the growth of the plant, comes through the roots. So when you, or most of it, so when, the, when you see the gospel of grace as the root in your life, you will find everything in your Christian walk from the gospel of grace. So when you take the word of God and it's rooted in your life, then you'll find that patience comes forth. But when it's not rooted in your life, you're going to be offended. You're going to say, yeah, but I believed in Jesus Christ and now they are persecuting me for righteousness sake. This is not fair. Throwing a tantrum. But when you get the, the, the message of grace rooted in your life, when people persecute you for righteousness sake, you find joy. <laughs> Hallelujah. Especially when you see it's really only the law-based people that persecutes you, that bad-mouths you, and that you can't get along with. Then it says something to you. It says to you, you're in the truth. That's what it says. And what, what also happens is, when that happens, it's as if, and I can speak out of experience in my own life, as if, as if there's a strength coming inside me towards, I believe, towards what I believe. It's as if I believe it more. The more people persecute me, the more I study the Word of God, the more I know the grace of God, the more I experience the grace of God, because I go and study it more. If somebody comes to me and says, Oh, you know, Betty, the book of James, um, the Bible says there clearly in verse 22, But be doers of the Word and not hearers only. You must be a doer of the Word. You know, you must uh, take those Ten Commandments and be a doer of that Word of God. Then I go and I go and study it. And I know, man, it can't be the way it sounds. It must be good news. It must, I must see the cross of Jesus Christ in it. I'm going to relate what God has done through Jesus to that scripture. And we study that and we come to an awesome, awesome revelation. And I find patience just growing in me. I just patiently wait for the return of the Lord, knowing that, like Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, that, um, I count everything but done, but what I do is I forget the things that are behind me, which is the law, and I stretch forth to what is before me, which is the message of grace, and I don't want to be found with my own righteousness, but the righteousness of God, so that I might receive the resurrection from the dead when the Lord Jesus returns. That's what Paul said. Hallelujah. So that's the same thing. The more we study it, we see that this is the way it works. Yes, it is like that. And the more patience, the more confidence. Another word for, for, for patience is you must see patience and hope in the same category because patience gives you hope. Through being, through being patient. 
In other words, through saying, listen man, I know the Lord's coming back. And that patience comes from a heart that is rooted in grace. Patiently, yes. That, this, this is what I believe. I know it's the truth. And I know Jesus Christ is coming back that way. I know I've been made righteous by what He's done for me. I know I'm justified by what He's done for me. I am righteous and justified. I see the manifestation of my righteousness. And that's called my justification. That's what God has given to me. And I'm not going to bend a little bit from what I believe. I don't care if they, they call me names. I don't care if I lose my job. I don't care if my... My uh, family's angry with me. I don't care if my friends are angry with me. Because the more I believe this, the more I find that that patience... Now, another word for patience here. Uh, let me explain this to you. If you patiently wait for the return of the Lord, it's like somebody that... Uh, and sometimes I do this. If I go to the bank and I want the bank to do something for me, and they say to me they can't do it for me, then I say, well, I'm, I'm patient. I wait you. You're going to do it. I'll wait patiently. And I said, you know, eventually they're going to do it. Because I'm, I've got patience. I've come to have what I want to have. I remember one day we were in Mozambique. And they stopped us at a roadblock. And they said to us, listen, you know, you've got a, 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 a problem here because some sticker or something wasn't right on the car. I said to them, no, it's fine. He says, they want to fine us and they want a bribe and they want this. I said, no, I've got patience. I told the people that were with us, I said, get out the tents. We pitch a tent right here. We're going to stay right here. Then we live here. Then we preach here. That's it. We've got patience. But I'm not paying that, that bribe. I don't do that. And I've got an expectation that this guy's boss is going to come back at the end of the day or the next day or the day after that. doesn't matter. But patiently I wait for that manifestation of truth, the way it's supposed to be. I've got patience. It's also, in other words, like almost hard-headedness. I'm not going to... And this is the thing. You know, if, we, if I go through a hard time, if people come and persecute me for righteousness, I just become more stubborn in what I believe. I'm not changing. I'm believing Jesus Christ is good. That's it. I believe that God's not a God that justifies us based on what we do for God. I believe that Jesus Christ justifies us because of what He's done on the cross and in His resurrection and I am patiently waiting for the return of the Lord. Like I said to the one guy once, he said to me, oh, Baffy, you know, this, this thing is like this and this thing is like this. I said to him, you know, I just wish that Jesus Christ could appear here right now and tell you that you're wrong. The truth is that God is a God of mercy and grace because He was telling us that God's going to punish us and judge us and I don't know what. I said, it's not like that. And I wish that He could experience, that He could just right now appear here. But we can patiently wait until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ and then you'll see for yourself what He says. If He's good or bad. That's it. Patience. So, uh, <laughs> knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, I'm not going to repeat everything I've said about patience now, but that's the way it is. But let patience have its perfect work. Now, the only way patience is going to have its perfect work is by you being rooted and that the Word of Grace has got a deep root inside you. That's not head knowledge, but it's something you truly believe out of your heart. Okay? Connecting that now to Matthew 13, talking about those that get offended quickly because of persecution and hard times. Okay, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. 
to put that in easy words, listen, when you are persecuted, God, when this word is rooted in your heart, will produce patience in your heart and continue that way, continue to believe in Jesus Christ until the return of the Lord and everything, you, you, you will be found as perfect. And as, and if any of you, now it goes into a different part of what he's trying to say, if any of you lack wisdom, now what is wisdom? The Bible says Jesus Christ became the wisdom of God to us. Now, wisdom in the Old Testament was uh, some, the correct action upon the law so that you can be blessed. That's wisdom. Knowledge was knowing the right things to do. Wisdom was knowing how to get it done or how to do it so that it can work for you. Okay, the correct action upon truth. That is wisdom. So, if any one of you lack wisdom, now thank God that we don't have the Old Testament wisdom anymore. We've got New Testament wisdom. Jesus Christ became the wisdom of God to us who believe. That means that Jesus Christ is the wisdom, that I, the thing that I need to know in order to be blessed. If you lack any wisdom, if you don't know what to do in your situation, and you need to know more about what Jesus has done for you in that situation, let him ask of God that gives to all men freely and does not look to the past. That do, that's the English word here, abradeth not. Abradeth not means to take account of the past and to deal with you right now according to your past. Now, this is what it says. If any one of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men freely and does not look at the past and bless you according to what you've done and it shall be given to him. But let him ask in faith. What is faith? In a full persuasion of what Jesus Christ has done. That's faith. Okay? <laughs> Not wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. So what he's saying here, he says, listen man. When you go through a hard time, ask for patience. Or, not, not that, if you go through a hard time, God gives you patience. And this patience that you have inside you is what will take you through that thing and you will be blessed. And that patience is not just patience in the sense of, oh my, I just patiently wait. But it is a firmness concerning your belief. That's patience. Okay? So now you come with that patience and you continue in that patience and you shall have what God said because we've got a confident expectation. Because patience produces a hope. Okay, I'm patient. That patience is more than just the emotion of patience. The emotion of patience is what grows out of, like I've explained, almost hard-headedness in continuance to believe in what you believe. You know, it's like, um, uh, uh, if, if you really believe something, man, you, you wait. Because that thing is going to manifest. It's going to work. You know, it's like with me. I believe in my heart that this whole thing with the oil um, in, in the world and this manipulation of the oil, the number one thing is I don't believe all the oil's finished. That's the first thing I believe about the oil, they call the oil crisis. The second thing is, is we're not always going to use oil. And that the Arabs must save up now because they're going to lose a lot of money because not long from now we're going to run our cars on water or on something else. You know, there's something else that God's got for us. And you might say, yes, but this, yes, but that, whatever, man. I believe it so much that I, we can wait. We can wait and see. 
Now that patience is produced out of my faith. And if you come and you say it's not like that, you'll find that I'm patient. You'll see it's going to work that way. And I am convinced that it will be like that. That's the way it's working. And it's going to work like that. So, because why? Patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to um, uh, Galatians. Galatians. Chapter 6, chapter 5, verse 22. Listen to this. But the fruit of the Spirit, now listen, remember the previous messages we, we, we preached. The fruit of the Spirit, in other words, the fruit of being in the message of grace, okay, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Now, go into your Greek dictionary there and look at what long-suffering is. Long-suffering is um, patience. So, being in the Spirit produces patience. Now, what he says here is, I mean, when will patience be produced? When will the Holy Spirit produce the patience? It's when the patience is needed. So, if people come and persecute you, be happy because you're of this mind that the Holy Spirit produces patience in your heart so that you can continue to believe this thing until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, you can differ from the interpretation there. That's fine. One day we will hear Jesus interpret that for us. Amen. If you, if you uh, lack any wisdom, if you don't know what to do, maybe you don't feel the patience, maybe you don't. If you need anything, lack any wisdom. If you don't, man, you don't know what to do. You need to know, you need to have wisdom. And Christ is the wisdom of God to us. You need to know what Jesus done for you, man. Go and ask God to tell you what Jesus has done for you and ask that knowing that He will show it to you because He's not going to look at your past works. But let Him ask in faith, not wavering. Let Him ask being fully persuaded of what God has done. Now, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You cannot have faith, you cannot have faith without the gospel of grace. It's impossible. So, let me interpret that in another way there. He says, but let him have, let him ask in the full persuasion of, that comes through the hearing of God's grace. Not wavering. That the gospel of grace is the truth. For he that wavers, in other words, he that is in the law and in grace, and in the law and in grace, is, um, uh, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Man, that is an awesome scripture. There are some people that wave and they receive, but it's not from God. They receive things, but it's not from God. They waver. They're in grace and this and that, and they're in temptation and hard times, going through hard times and all of that, and then they think, man... You know, this is, this is God bringing these things over me and now because God's brought this over me, now I've got a great understanding of the love of God or I've got a great understanding of Scripture and then you get some revelation somewhere. Listen, you can't believe that and think that that revelation is from God. It's not like, like that. God does not bring the hard time over you. God is not the one that brings the temptation over you. God's not the one that tries to make it difficult for you. God's the one that comes and gives you the word that can produce faith, 
He's the one that gives you the Jesus that brings forth wisdom in your life, which is wisdom. He's the one that gives you patience by the Holy Spirit. And He's the one that gives you joy. Hallelujah. Amen. And He's the one that inspired James to write this to comfort you. And He's the one that gives you the hope. So how can He be the one that gives you the hard times? It's impossible. For let not that man think that he will receive anything of the Lord. For a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know, you get two mindsets in this world. The mindset that says, by what I do, I will please God and then God will bless me. Or the mindset that says, by what God has done for me, I'm blessed. That's the two mindsets that there, that there are in the world. There's no other mindset. Even the atheist, you know, he's got, um, he's got the mindset that says, by my own power, I am okay. I don't need a God in a God. I don't be, even believe in a God. Just the way I am, it's okay. That's that mindset of, of the law. The mindset of, in my own power, I am enough. That's, that's what an atheist is. Like the one man says that he doesn't have enough faith to be an atheist. He doesn't have that type of faith. Imagine everything that God has done in this world, and then you have got enough faith to say that the thing you believe is greater than what God has done. With all the evidence there is in this world already. Jesus Christ, the historical facts, everything we see today, people getting saved, um, the Word of God going out in power, which is the greatest form of evidence of the Word, is just the Word being preached. I mean, it's, it's just awesome. And then you, you've got enough faith to believe that you're an atheist. And to believe there's no God. I don't have, and I'm, I'm honest, I don't have that type of faith as well. Um, it's, it's just too great for me. I, I, I'm believing in Jesus. That's easier. Hallelujah. And that's the truth. Amen. Now, think of that a bit. That can bless you. A double-minded man, a man that's got his mindset in the law and in grace, is unstable in everything he does. Because the one... And, and we watched a, a DVD the other day. Uh, the one guy preaches grace. It's a, one of these one-day um, gatherings. Passion one-day gatherings. The one, and it's awesome to see what happens in the lives of the young people. But the one guy would go up there and say, you are not the treasure of the gospel. Jesus is the treasure of the gospel. The gospel has got nothing to do with, um, with you at all. You know, it's just, it's got to do with you must try to give glory to Jesus. And a very law-based, judgmental type of thing. Then another guy came up and he preached on holiness and how holy you must live. Then another guy comes up and he preaches grace. And then after that they worship and in the worship they start to sing a song that says, He gives and takes away. And the context of what they sing it in, now we can interpret that into grace as well, but the context of what they sing, they say, He gives and takes away, yet I choose to say, you know, that I worship you or something like that. In other words, God blesses me with this, blesses me with a wife and children, then He takes one of the children away, and gives me a new car, and then He takes away the house. You know, but I choose to say, Oh, glorious you. Amen. Well, (laughs) I choose to say, doesn't matter what... What's that word? you know those words? What, what's the words? Give it back away. Um, I choose... to say... Um, to say... I can't remember. Yeah, but you choose to say that God's, still, God's a good God and, and you still choose to say that He will believe in Jesus. That's what it comes down to. Now, after all of that, imagine the double-mindedness that's in those people. 
It's double-minded, man. And it says here, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. The one day, he will say, God is good. The next day, he says, he kills people. The next day, one day you say, God paid for the sins of, of the world. The next day, you say, he's punishing people all the time. Now, you're unstable. And the, the reason why you will be unstable is because the one day, you'll bless somebody, the next day, you'll curse him. The one day you'll be good to somebody if he does everything the way you think it's supposed to be done. And the next day you'll judge him and deliver him over to be punished for some reason. Because that's the way you think. Oh no, I've seen that in church so many times. You know, if, if, a, if a pastor says everything right and does everything right, then the people will do everything right. But the moment he does something wrong, and uh, you know, I, I know church where you, the leadership, they will just work that leader out. Just because he's not doing it exactly the way they wanted. But he was good for three, four, five, six years, but all of a sudden he's not good anymore because they've got some... They're unstable. The one day they're gracious, the next day they're under the law. So in other words, the one day the fruit of grace flows out of their lives, the next day the fruit of the law flows out of their lives, and that's what is written here. He says, listen men, when you go through a hard time, know this, God gives you patience, be happy, don't worry. Don't think that they're going to get you down. Don't think that they're going to squeeze the gospel out of you and that you're going to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. When you get into that situation, when they throw you to that line, you're going to have patience, man. God's going to give you that. You're going to patiently continue to believe in what you believe. If they're going to torture you, if they're going to put you in jail, you're going to continue to believe. Know this, because that is what's going to happen in your life. Because the Holy Spirit produces that. Now, you might say, no, bad. the Bible doesn't say there that the Holy Spirit produces patience. It says that hard times produces patience. Okay, then the most patient people in the world must be the poorest people in the world. Then the, uh, the most patient people in South Africa must be the oppressed blacks in the townships. They're not patient. They're not patient. They're burning houses, man. They're killing people. They're chasing people out. They can't patiently wait for the police to get the thing, wait for the government to do it the way they're supposed to do it. They can't. They're just impatient. Hard times does not produce patience. Let me tell you that. Take a guy in the world, put him... Uh, uh, man, take somebody. Listen to me. That's a good first fighter. Bare first street fighter. And persecute him a bit. Just one guy on the street. Start to call him names. Put him in a bad light and see the patience that comes forth. A hard time does not produce patience. The Holy Spirit produces patience. No circumstance can produce the character of God. Only God can produce it in you. For only God is God. There's no other God beside God. It's either God putting it in you or it will never be in you. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for the gospel of grace. Man, I'm enjoying this. Amen. <laughs> now it says, but the rich, sorry, uh, uh, verse 9, let the brother of low decree rejoice in his exaltation. Now low decree does not only mean uh, poor in this world with physical stuff. It also means poor in, um, in what you think about your own ability before God beside Jesus. You can see that in, in, and uh, cross-reference that with Matthew chapter 5. Um, let the brother of low degree rejoice in his exaltation, but the rich in that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass 
he shall pass away. The grass, he shall pass away. Now what this says is, and I like this, um, let the rich man be happy because he's made low. So, say for instance, I'm a rich person. I'll be happy before God because I'm being made low in this that I am, and I think the context here is that the, the poor guy was never anything, but now he's persecuted for righteousness sake. He's going through a hard time. So, there's something is made of him. And the rich guy, which was always something in the eyes of the world, he's now made a nothing because he's amongst those Christian guys that's thrown to the lions. And persecuted, not just thrown to the lions. Let's, let's not make it that severe. Make it more applicable today. That's called names that's pushed out and all of that. So, he's made of low decree. And another way uh, uh, that we can see that is that the guy that doesn't think a lot about his own willpower, in other words, saying, well, I can't save myself. I patiently wait on the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that He's the one that does it for me. He will be exalted for salvation will, be, will come to Him. And let the man that was always saying, you know, it was by my own ability, rejoice. Because now he can say, it's not by my ability anymore. It's not by the wealth of my ability anymore. I am made low. Thank God I'm made low. It's not about what I must do anymore. I, the I, what I must do, is taken out of the equation and He is put into it. Okay? Hallelujah. That's also a way of seeing that. Then it says, Blessed is the man when he endures temptation. For, listen to this, For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. When he is tested, listen, listen to this, When he is tested and he passes the test, he shall receive the crown of life. Now, we must see that in the light of Matthew 13. When somebody gets the word of God, it comes up in his life, it grows quickly, and persecution comes, and he denies the faith. In other words, he doesn't believe in Jesus anymore. He goes back to the Jewish things. There's no salvation for him. You cannot be saved. You cannot believe in Jesus and receive your salvation in what Jesus done for you, then you deny Jesus. In other words, you say, I'm not saved by what Jesus done for me, but I'm saved by what I do. There's no salvation for you, my friend. There's no salvation for you. There's too many places in the Bible. The Bible says that he that believes until the end shall be saved. You can't believe the good news for a while, and then leave the good news and think you're going to be saved. It's only one, one way of salvation, and that is by believing the good news until the end. That's what Paul says. Paul said, he said that I don't want to be found with my own righteousness before God, because I want to be found with His righteousness before Him, that I may receive the resurrection from the dead. For the Bible says, those that died in Christ shall be raised from the dead. You can't die in Moses and be raised from the dead. For it's the ministration of death. The ministration of death does not raise you unto life. Only the, the ministration of life will raise you unto life. Amen. Isn't that awesome? So, blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he is tried, when he was tested and he passed the test, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Hallelujah. So, um, why will you love God? Because... Of just one reason. The Bible says we love Him for He first loved us. That's interpreting Scripture with Scripture, man. 
This is what he says. He says, because the Lord has promised to them that love Him. So if you love the Lord, if you love Jesus, Jesus is the Word. If you love the Word, which is Jesus, which is the message of grace, which is what happened on the cross, if you love that, you will find that you pass the test. Amen. For you loved it. You, you were fond of it. You continued in that message of grace. Amen. Now, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. <laughs> now, I mean, hear the whole thing. Now, some people say, no, God doesn't tempt you, but He uses the devil to tempt you. Nonsense. Rubbish. Forget it. It's not the gospel. It's, it's, it's not the gospel. <laughs> Forget about it. It's not what it is. God does not use the devil to, to persecute you. Because the devil is not employed by God. The devil is self-employed. He decided... Now, you know, there are some doctrines that says that the devil is employed by God. That God made the devil the way he is right now for the purpose of what he does right now. That is, employed by God. That is, God putting that... Now, listen. If God made Satan the way he is now, then God had to give him his thought pattern. Now, does God think that way? Listen, if I give birth to my child, or my wife, she gives birth to my child, then I take that child, I teach him. If I want him to be what I... I've got a plan for him. I want him to be an engineer. Then I must take the thought patterns of an engineer, which is already in my mind, and I must teach him that. I must get him to think like one. And I must get out of my being, I must teach him that. So if God made Satan the way he is today, he must have taught him how to murder, man. He must have been the one that teaches him how to deceive and lie. Now if you say that Satan, I want to just say this, if you say that Satan is made the way he is right now by God, then there's a long way for you to go to understand the grace of God. And especially if you're stubborn about it. You can't go and say that God, God employs Satan. No, no. Satan is the way he is because of his own choice, because of a rejection of who God is, and because he rejected who God was, and he rejected the very nature of God that was in him when he was created in heaven perfect. When he rejected that, he became everything that wasn't that, and through him, all those bad was actually created. Not by God. Now, it says, Let every man when he is tempted, tempted not say that I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, neither does He tempt any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. <laughs> now, when you fall into different temptations and different hard times, now that temptations can also be used as persecutions, can also be used as people putting a hard time. What makes it hard for you, and when it's a temptation to leave the gospel of grace and to get back under the law, is when you've got a lust inside you that makes you desire certain things. Now it says here, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust. What is lust? Lust is not just lust for a woman. 
You know, we've always said, you know, lust is just, you just lust after the opposite sex or um, sometimes after the same sex or that's just lust. Lust is, is something, is that as well, but there's another way of lust. Lust is an in order, uh, 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 or a super, or super great desire for something. If you've got this desire, now this is going to shock you. The Bible says that there is um, an Afrikaans achteruitgang. Basically death. This slow process of stuff going backwards in life. Through lust. Now, the Pharisees lusted after God. They lusted after God. They had this desire. They wanted God with everything. And they wanted, that lust was produced out of the law. That's a desire comes into us through the law. Paul says that he didn't even know desire except by the law. So when he was under the law, desire came up into him. There was a law that said, you are not supposed to desire your neighbor's stuff. Then desire came up to him. Then there was a law, you shall serve God with all your heart. Then there was a desire to serve God with all my heart. I must do it now. Now, those who desire, and you, can, and you open your ears to the message of grace, your desire shall be satisfied, and under the New Testament we don't walk with this desire, hunger and thirsting thing anymore. Now what happens here, he says, when you are tempted, when it becomes a temptation for you to fall back under the law, is when you are drawn away by your own desire. And I wrote down here um, how I see this. It says, first, the first thing that happens is, we, we lust after something. For you, if you've still got a desire to become more holy, then you're actually in trouble. Because now Satan can come and or a law person can come, or a wrong interpretation out of the scripture can come, and tell you the five things that you must do in order to be blessed. Now, the way I see it this way is, if there's something inside you that's just hungering for something more, that is called desire. Okay? Then that desire, this is what the Bible says, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, in other words, here comes that you've got a lust or a desire. When that desire is conceived, the way it's conceived is very simple. Is You've got a desire, inside you just feel, man, I don't feel really happy. I, I feel there must be something else. I, I feel this or I feel that. Then you go and you put in, I talk about Christians now, you put in a CD and this guy tells you how you must walk 20 times around the town and anoint the street corners with oil and anoint the streets and then you are now going to be blessed. Then that desire is, uh, um, is conceived. In other words, you just had this desire in you. You just felt this thing. Then it was conceived. Then you found it gave birth to something you must now do in order to be blessed. It says then it brings forth sin. Now, <laughs> Sin is the breaking of a law. That's what sin is. It's the breaking of a law. It brings forth sin. Or another word for sin there is it brings forth unbelief. Okay? Then if you, when you continue in your unbelief and in your sin, in breaking that law that you think you must do in order to be blessed, which is unbelief in Jesus, then you'll find it will bring forth death. Now you must go into the archives 
and uh, on Wednesday and listen to this again. Let's go through it just a little bit. It seems to me we're going to run out of time. The first thing is, you are, when you are tempted, you are tempted when you are drawn away by your own evil desire or by your own lust. So inside you there's a lust for something. You don't know what it is. You just as a Christian feel uh, there's something, uh, this is not enough. I, I need this more. I need this, this. I, this is just not enough. Now you might think that's the way it's supposed to be. It's not, the way it's, it's not supposed to be like that. John said to people, he says, you've got the Holy Spirit and know all things. Why are you running after all these teachers? You've got the Holy Spirit, let Him teach you. What you have heard of us when we preached grace to you was all that there is to know. That's what He basically said. That was enough. What about chasing after this revelation? Chasing after that revelation? Chasing after man? That's not the way it's supposed to be. Now you feel this thing in you. The reason you have got that desire for more, that hunger and thirst and all of that, you know why you've got that? It's because you've never received grace. Now you might say, Barry, that's a harsh thing to say. The Bible says that blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's what Jesus preached when He was on the earth. For they shall be filled. Then he says that if you drink, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and I think it's John 6, it says you will never hunger and never thirst for you will become a well of water will spring up in you. I mean, the last thing that a well can say is that he's thirsty. Because that's where the water is. That's the source of water. You can't come with thirst anymore. And I won't tell you this and you can say I'm full of pride. But sorry for you then. Um, and don't feel intimidated by this. Just get the gospel of grace. I don't hunger anymore. And I don't thirst anymore. I'm satisfied. Jesus was enough. And I'm not going to say, well, Jesus, you know, we, I ate your flesh and I drank your blood, but man, I'm thirsty. Don't you have anything more? Was that all you could do? <laughs> no ways. Man, I, his flesh was enough for me to be satisfied. When I take that communion, I eat that bread, and my mind is on what He's done for me, that's enough for me. I don't feel that I need anything more. It's enough. When I drink His blood, I feel that my sins are truly forgiven. I'm righteous. Amen. And this is what He says. But every man is tempted. Listen, He's writing to the, to the twelve tribes that were scattered abroad. He says, when you tempted... Going through hard times, the idea of this, and, and we, we, we make a decision here to see this in the good news, because he uses the word if, uh, Lord Jesus in the beginning, and out of that we, we, we can make a conclusion, it's writing to the believers, that, um, that might come to faith. It says, then when, when lust conce- was conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Listen to this now. He says, this, this thing that makes it so difficult for you, that makes it feel like a temptation and all of that, God is the one that gives you patience when you come into that. When you continue in grace, you'll find patience and it will not be this temptation anymore. You'll find peace now in your heart and true patience. Okay? Then, um, but if you, the reason why it is this, a great temptation to leave this and go back to circumcision and go back to the Jewish traditions and all of that is because there's still this desire inside you. 
Because the word has not found its root in you. The root is still the law. Where you find your source of life is the law. And, and grace is just a seed in your mind. But we must get that thing to get rooted in our lives. That we find everything from the, the root of grace. And the root of the cross. And the root. But man, some people plant so many things. Plant five plant and one pot. Werk nie. Let's plant grace. And then let, let the root that gives food uh, um, be... be uh, uh, you know what, what comes to my mind? Let, let it be the gospel of grace. What comes to my mind is, I remember you get these plants. Um, it's a parasite plant. It comes and it sits on another plant and then grows. It, it grows into that plant and then the food that that plant gets from the roots is supplied to this plant and then this plant eventually overtakes the other plant. Now that's how many people do with grace. They take the law system. It's still in them. That's how they think. That's what they believe. And then they implant grace unto that. But they find there's food out of the law mentality. The Bible says that the axe is at the roots. Amen. Jesus Christ came to dig out and axe out, whatever you want to call this, cut out this law thing forevermore, that there's no root of it, that there's nothing so that we can be rooted and grounded in the unconditional love of God, according to Ephesians 3. And when that comes into our hearts, and that overflows into our lives, we'll find the true patience. Amen. But temptation is because there's still a law thing in, I'm not tempted with the law. I'm never tempted with the law. And the same with many people that are in grace. You can't tempt me with that Ten Commandments. It's impossible. You can't tempt me with, Bert, you know, if you do this, if you give ten rand to this past, then God's going to bless you. You can't tempt me with that. That's no temptation for me. It's, it's impossible. I, I can't be tempted with that. It's, man, it's like uh, in the motorcycle world, it's trying to tempt me with a Harley Davidson. It's impossible. I don't like Harley. Things too slow. So the, the, it's the same way when it comes to grace. You can't, once you're in grace, you, you are free from this temptation. When you fall into persecution and temptation, know that it's not of God and know that as you continue in the root that's inside you, patience will be produced and that this thing, if you continue to be tempted like this, it can give birth to the thing you think you must do. Okay, let me now be circumcised. You know, and that's not going to produce the life in you. That's going to kill you. Every good. It says, do not error my beloved brethren when you go through all these things. God, what it basically says, God's got nothing to do with it. He's done everything for you not to have it. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, not a shadow of turning. Of His own will begot He us with the word of the truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of the creatures, uh, of His creatures, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Be quick to hear the message of grace. Slow to speak this law thing, and your opinion, if you don't know the message of grace, and slow to become angry with God. Okay. For the wrath of a man does not work the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the encrafted word which is able to save your souls. So what he was saying to them when they were so much in temptation, they want to be in this law, they want to be in that law. He says, listen man, humble yourself, lay down all this filthiness and naughtiness. So what he was actually saying to them is, 
Stop to be naughty and to play with the law and receive the word of God now. Okay? Verse 22. But be doers of the word. That's what he said. He says, listen, be a doer of the word. Now, what is the word word? The word there is the word logos which speaks of Jesus. He says, be a doer of Jesus. Don't be a doer of Moses. We, so many times I've read that scripture, it says, but be a doer of the word, then we think of the law. No, no, forget the law. Let's get the law out of our minds. Be a doer of the word of grace. How, how are you a doer of the word of grace? John 6, 28. What shall we do to work the works of God? Then God said, believe on him whom he has sent.